Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, we are joined by psychologist, keynote speaker, consultant, author of Rising Above a Toxic Workplace, The Vibrant Workplace, Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, and Sink or Swim. Welcome back, Dr. Paul White. Thank you, Aidan. I'm glad to be back with you. It's great to have you back on the show. And I discovered more of your work after we spoke 30 shows ago or more about rising above a toxic workplace. And it'd be great to now talk about some of the ways we can make workplace even better. So we're going to focus on the language of appreciation and how changing culture requires adopting a whole new way of communicating. So it'd be great to start, Paul, with the problems we are seeing in the workplace. It'd be great to get some of the stats off you. In the states, and, and it's true in Western Europe as well as well as uh, places in in Asia, that uh, over the past I don't know ten to fifteen years, there's been a big push to implement employee recognition programs to the point there's you know about ninety percent of all companies and organizations in the U.S. have uh, some form of employee recognition program. Uh, but the problem with that is uh, is that they aren't working uh, as far as not really, they haven't improved employee engagement, they haven't improved job satisfaction, um, and there's still a lot of negativity. So something's not working right. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of effort and a lot of money that companies are spending in, into some points uh, wasting because uh, they don't uh, really have it figured out what they're supposed to be doing. So 90% of American companies have spent an invested in a recognition program, yet most workers leave their roles because of lack of recognition. That lack of synchronization is just nuts. And I suppose it's the reason why books like your own are so popular. 65% of workers say that they haven't received any recognition for work well done in the past year. Uh, and that's, it. I'm like, how can that be? You know, because all these programs. Um, and then similarly, 87% uh, that leave work voluntarily say that a lack of appreciation is one of the primary reasons that they leave, and they're not typically leaving for more money. Most managers and business owners think they're leaving for more money, but it's more that they just feel like people don't value them, don't listen to them, and so they're out of there. Yeah, and you, you say 89% of managers believe people leave their own company because of money. They think they're leaving because they're going elsewhere to get a better pay packet or better bonuses, etc. But in fact, people leave for much more, much different reasons. And very few companies go and find out what those reasons are. It'd be great to get those reasons off you, Paul. Well, you know, there are a lot of sort of small reasons, but altogether it has to do with feeling valued as a person and as a contributor to the business. And that can come through both hearing it, you know, that somebody tells you that you did a good job and, and that uh, you've made an impact. It also uh, comes from being involved in decisions that impact you directly and uh, that uh, there's a sense of investment in you and growth as well. So there's a combination of factors, but one of the things that we found is that, you know, if somebody tries to communicate appreciation in the workplace, it's almost always verbally. I mean, it's like, you know, good job, way to go. Thanks for doing this. And that's fine. But over 50% of employees cite that words don't really get it from them. That's not the main way that they're looking to be appreciated. We we have an online assessment. It's called the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory. And we had over 140,000 people worldwide take it. And uh, words is about 45% of the employees. But 
that means 55% uh, have different languages. Um, and so lots of times people are trying to communicate appreciation, but they're really sort of missing the mark. I did some desk research in our own office today, and I asked my colleagues about how they like to receive appreciation and praise. Every single one of them were different. Yeah. One of my colleagues is an actor. She was very happy to receive open praise in front of the office, while everybody else wanted either an email or one person was like a small gift to be nice. You know, having read the book, my eyes were opened. I was like, I have to share this work because people are just unaware of that. First of all, so many leaders don't even say thanks or demonstrate any type of appreciation. But then there are ones who do it, but they don't do it in an authentic way. Right. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, that's one of the problems with employee recognition programs is that the way they're implemented uh, often, uh, I mean, the intent often is good, not always, but often. And but the way it's implemented, that the feedback we get from employees and even managers is that it feels really disingenuous. I mean, that uh, I mean, I had one leader tell me, said, this is fine. We're going to this training about appreciation, but it really doesn't matter because they're just trying to go through this to make it look like they're addressing issues, but they don't really care about us at all. And especially when it's pretty formal, generic, mechanical, that everybody, it's the same ceremony. Everybody gets the same certificate and maybe a gift card or something. And it, it doesn't have anything really to do with them. I mean, I've had a number of people say, I'm not sure why I got this award. Besides that, all my peers are torqued off because they don't think I do that great a job anyway. So, I mean, you know, it's just the way it's done uh, creates problems. Yeah, and this kind of mass thank you, gather the troops, thank them all together means nothing. And when you even look at stuff like marketing, you look at, for example, Netflix or Amazon, these great big global digital platforms, mm -hmm. they are all about personalization. Mm -hmm. They treat everybody so, so differently. And w when I read the book, I was like, well, that's exactly the same for how people receive information, how they receive communication, but particularly appreciation and praise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I wrote this with Dr. Chapman, who uh, wrote a best-selling personal book called The Five Love Languages that sold 14 million copies. And there's five ways to communicate love in a personal relationship. We sort of translated that to appreciation in the workplace. But what we found as we worked with teams is you can get the language right. Let's say it's words even. But if you don't get the specific action right, you still miss the boat. So, for example, just like you said, some people are okay with being praised in front of others, especially like maybe their team or a colleague. But in the work that I've done with groups and training, clearly 40 to 50% of the general workforce don't want to go up in front of a large group to be shown appreciation or recognition. And in fact, it's, a, it's a, often a very negative thing for them. And so you got to do it in the right way. Same thing with quality time, which is another language. You know, some people want quality time with their supervisor or manager either to be able to communicate or listen and learn, or they just get a sense of value from it. But there are others who said, man, I do not want individual time with my supervisor. They're pretty intense, and I'm sort of shy, and no thank you, but, but I love hanging out with my colleagues and going out uh, you know, lunch or uh, after work. As a result, on your inventory, not only do you identify the language that's important to you, but also the specific actions, and even further, what actions you want from whom, whether it's your supervisor or your colleagues, whatever, because you may invite your, your, your buddies over to uh, watch a game on the weekend, but you're not going to invite your supervisor. It feels sort of weird. So you can specify, and when you, when you do the right thing, it doesn't take a whole bunch, you know, it's, uh, but 
we can hit the mark and, and make a difference in a fairly small action. You mentioned briefly the differences in how we can give appreciation. But before we even go there, Paul, it'd be great to talk about the cost of labor turnover. Because when I saw this, I thought it was staggering. The cost and productivity is massive. Yeah, it's huge. And in fact, we were talking earlier off air that uh, I've done some more recent research uh, to update the book. And it's it's just overwhelming. I mean, the, uh, the Gallup Group interviewed over a million people across the world uh, and found, you know, sort of what plugs into help making people feel engaged in part and communicating personal appreciation is one of the core factors. And we know that when people are engaged, meaning that they're not just they're physically, but they're mentally and emotionally engaged in what's going on, good things happen. And when people start to disengage, they start going through emotions, they, uh, do schlock work, you know, I mean, poor quality work, they don't get along with people and start to withdraw. And then ultimately, you know, they may be there mentally or physically, but not really doing the job. And then eventually they leave. And turnover is clearly the, the most costly, non-productive cost to any kind of business and organization. Most leaders and most managers, one of their most hated roles is actually going and having to interview for a job for someone they've lost to the company. And, th- and then you also say it's estimated to cost the American economy, the U.S. economy, $5 trillion a year in turnover of people. Isn't that like that? I mean, alone, there alone, people should totally invest in their companies and their people. Yeah. You know, as individuals, we see those numbers and it looks big and say, well, yeah, that's the big guys or, you know, it's not us, but it, it is you. And in fact, you know, I find it's even harder to convince, uh, you know, nonprofit social service agencies or government agencies, they're dying on the vine because of this, but they don't have the same kind of metrics as far as profitability, but as far as reaching their mission and serving people are called to serve, you know, it's just, it's, it's brutal. Um, and so what's interesting to me is that and one of the things that we learned that, that I think can soften the um, pushback from managers is that we found that people don't just want to be shown appreciation from the managers. It's not the manager or the supervisor's sole responsibility. The more that we've helped train colleagues, teams to show appreciation and encourage one another, as well as the manager, that's when it really sings. I mean, because, you know, managers, they have plenty to do. Uh, and yeah, they need to be supportive and encouraging. But if you have a bad day, who's the first person that knows you're having a bad day? It's one of your colleagues, right? I mean, your supervisor may find out about it eventually. So um, and if we can get the um, sort of empower the team um, and get the energy from them as well, things really go well. And partly because, uh, to be honest, <laughs> supervisors don't always do this so well. I mean, even when they try their best, you know, because we're all different. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about the positive snowball effect, but also there's the negative snowball effect. So, so, so say you have somebody and you say, like you just said, they, they start badmouthing the company. They become like a cancerous cell in the company. And if they have some type of power or influence over other people, they'll turn them pretty quickly against management. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, from our work with toxic workplaces, you know, people often feel fairly overwhelmed and powerless of what to do when you're in sort of a negative environment. And I understand that I've been there. I've worked there. But 
I also, I'm not big about creating victims where we're just sort of going to whine and whine and complain. And so there are things that we can do as individuals. And, and there's two key starting points. One is don't contribute to the negative. I mean, it, it, you know, so somebody else is complaining or whatever. First of all, at least shut up and don't say anything. Don't add to it. And secondly, you know, just excuse yourself and, and say, hey, I'll catch you later. You don't have to call them out, you know, and sort of put them down. But just by that action, it's sort of saying, hey, I don't want to be a part of that. And so it doesn't fuel it. So one is don't join in. And secondly, it's really interesting how a little positive comment, it doesn't even have to be about that topic. It can be about, hey, man. Uh, it's going to be beautiful weather this weekend. How that throws water on, on the negativity and just sort of like douses it out. And it's hard to keep negative when somebody's you know, excited about their kids, you know, football this weekend. You know, uh, so we can start somewhere. We can always start with ourselves and the people we relate to on a daily basis. We can't control other people, but if you, especially with one or two colleagues, start to sort of not engage in the negative and turn things positive, you can turn at least part of the organization around. Those skills, right, Paul, because this really dawned on me. I I felt, and I've written a piece on on this to go with the show, because I felt that the image of Gordon Gecko, right? So the Wall Street, hard-nosed, angry-faced guy is is the archetype of kind of what corporate America is all about. But that's trickled across the Western world and probably gone to the East, unfortunately, as well, where they are more sensitive. And I mean sensitive in the the pure essence of the word, in the good way that you're sensitive to people, your, your emotional intelligence is high, your EQ is high. Those skills that are kind of have been in the past lesser regarded skills because it's like, oh, we need hard nosed doers. But that's the world has changed. Mm -hmm. The world has changed so much that people have a choice. They don't need to work for you, they choose to more and more. Mm -hmm. And in that world, you need this. This is like people talk about disruption and how the marketplace is disrupted and AI and all these kind of disruptions. But the disruption has happened at a human level as well. And that's why I thought from an innovation perspective, this really needs to be embraced. Yeah. Here's what I'm working on. I've been asked to do a sort of a a TED talk kind of thing at at a major conference. uh, And they've left it open for me to to speak on whatever I want. I'm going to address the issue of uh, both remote workers, but even more so virtual teams, because I've been engaged by you know a couple of large multinational organizations and we're starting to work on appreciation among their teams, and some of them are virtual, and meaning you know they're obviously in different locations, but some of them have never met, and additionally, sometimes the only they're only together for a period of time to work on a project. Um, they're not really a, a full team. They're just a project team. And, you know, I don't mind saying what I think. I'm not always right. But, you know, I think there's some problems with that because they're just a functional team. And they maybe have a functional relationship. They don't really have a personal relationship. And if you try to communicate appreciation to somebody when you don't have a relationship, that's not going to go well. I don't care how talented you are because it's um, – First of all, if you if you hit the mark, you're purely lucky. Secondly, it can feel without relationship. It feels like manipulation. It's like you know, 
why do you care about me? You don't know me. Why are you being this positive? And so what do you want from me? And I think we're going to have to look at that. And uh, not that virtual teams uh, are wrong should go away. I don't think they will. For a while, at least, it's ever. Uh, but we got to understand that, you know, work is with people. And even if you never see them, and, and that's something that we can make a difference is, is do, use some video conferencing, at least so you can see their face versus everything by email or conferencing. I fully agree. And I, and I think in a world of, you know, where people are kind of threatened by automation and AI and these kind of things that this, your human skills are going to become so much more important. I lecture to um, Trinity College here in Dublin, the business school. And it was the biggest thing I was trying to get across to the students is the world needs more human skills. Yes, you need to understand blockchain and automation and AI and all those things. But the human skills are going to get, they're rising to the top. And the, the, the issue is in a digital world, we've, we've numbed those skills and the people, and we've disregarded those skills in the past. So there's kind of a, a skills gap, not digital, a skills gap in human skills. And that's like, like when I read the book, I was like, I, I, I had to share it because you talk about appreciation and there's five levels of appreciation. It'd be great to get into those now, Paul, because you know, you do say thanks. And, and I, I felt sometimes, you know, when I, when I led teams, you say thanks and sometimes you can overdo the thanks. And I thought that was the issue. But then when I read your book, I was like, whoa, there's, there's way more issues than just overdoing <laughs> the thanks, you know? So, so it'd be great to jump yeah. into those in sequence, maybe starting with words of affirmation. Sure. So, you know, essentially we've found that people like to be shown appreciation in different ways and that, it's most effective if you really want to communicate that you value and appreciate somebody to speak the language that's important to them. And so words of affirmation, they're words that we're affirming. We're affirming who they are, what they do, what value they bring. And it can be individual, it can be oral, it can be written, it can be private or in public. And we need to sort of figure out what people like. I mean, you've probably seen your um, heard stories where people have kept a handwritten note, you know, from a, a supervisor from the past because it really uh, meant something to them. But what, one of the things that we emphasize in the whole process is that it's not just about performance because we're people, right? And we have a life both in work and outside of work. And it's not just about production. Yeah, it can be. And so we did a great job on that project. The more specific you can be, the better. And it's like, man, I really like the way we thought through and we created an involved team, and it just helped the process go well. You know? And so, versus, we do some polls occasionally with our audience, and um, one of the phrases that people in the States don't really like is, good job, because it's so vague and generic. It could be to anybody, and I've had some tech people say, my boss wouldn't know if I was doing a good job or not, because he's, you know, he's not a technical guy. Um, so anyway, words work. Um, and, and it's the easiest one usually to implement if for introverts, people that are a little bit shy and awkward in social situations, starting with a written message, it often goes better than trying to do it face to face. There's no necessarily uh, added benefit from that, especially if you're anxious and tends to not come over well orally. So, you know, it gives you time to think about it. Second language is quality time. For a lot of people, it's, it's 
focused attention that they just would like. Give me 10 or 15 minutes, half hour that we can talk. I can share my thoughts and ideas and observations or hear from you, can input. But sometimes it's just that, you know, there's somebody that you respect and value and just be included. Like I, I, I worked with teams that, man, when they invited me to go to lunch or dinner with them, I, it wasn't about the topic or it's just like, hey, they included me and I feel valued because of that. Um, and, and that can be really significant for me. But like I was saying earlier, sometimes it's more about teams. In fact, I tell leaders, I say, just because one of your team members has quality time doesn't mean that they want quality time with you. The managers tend to personalize things and think they're the center of the universe. And, uh, and a lot of times it's not. It's that they really enjoy hanging out with friends or working collaboratively. More and more younger employers, employees um, love uh, working together on a project, which is sort of a cultural sh- shift in the States, at least, from the past where it was sort of very independent, individualized. And so that can be a way that people can get a sense of feeling value. On that one, Paul, this really dawned on me that so many leaders and want to be leaders, you go into their office and they're checking their email or they're checking their phone when they're there to, isn't that, is, I just think it's the height of, a, a height of ignorance. And, and again, you know, I was, I was telling the students about this, that, you know, so many people are addicted to checking their phone and they don't need to. And when this translates into the workplaces is that you become lesser capable leader because you, you're addicted <laughs> and then you think it's important to check your phone, but it's more important to act. And this is where, you know, I hadn't read the book at the time, but when I read the book, this totally clicked with me. I was like, that's what he's talking about. Not just feeling part of a group, say, for example, being invited for a meal, but also getting focused attention when it's time. Yeah. It dawned on me at some point that the language that's most important to us on the positive side, being appreciated, is also the language that we're most sensitive to on the negative side. So I wrote an article on uh, how, how you're colleagues are most easily offended by the language that's most important. So for quality time people, they get offended if they don't have your full attention. If you're checking your phone, checking your computer, you might as well just give it up because not only is it not going well, you're, you're doing negatives. The other way is to continue rescheduling meetings because you're essentially telling you not that important to me. So you're, you're right on the mark that for most people with quality time, they just need a little bit of focused attention. I had one CFO tell me, she said, my language is time. And that all I need is somebody to stop by, check in, see how I'm doing. After five minutes, I'm booming because I got too much to do. But it's nice for them just to think about me and I check in. So the third language is acts of service. And it's not rescuing uh, a low-performing uh, team member <laughs> so it, it, but it's you know for some people uh you know there's sayings like you know words are cheap don't uh tell me you care show me and uh, i had one leader he said you know my language is get her done he said don't tell me don't give me stuff just come help me get stuff done now i know you're on my team and, and supporting and and lots of times i mean the, probably the easiest example of this is when a team member is working really hard on a project and there's a time deadline looming and they're just pushing to get it done. What could you do to help make that go better for them? And usually it's best to ask, right? I mean, because what you think would be helpful is often not what they think, but I mean, lots of times people say, you know, just bring me lunch so I can keep going. Or if you can 
you know, manage my calls here for an hour so I can get focused on that, that would be good. Uh, or you got a bunch of you know, little clerical kinds of projects that if you could take care of those, I can keep going on this. And man, I tell you what, if you want to motivate somebody, I mean, when you help out a person that acts a service important to you, they're like, they're on your team. They're going to battle with you and, you know, just say, thanks. And, and what can I do to help you out? You know? And so it doesn't have to be a big deal. It's not like you're, you know, doing all of their work for them. It's just that there are times when we need a little help, we get discouraged and a little bit of help can be really encouraging. In fact, I mean, converse of it, I had one graphic designer tell me a story about, you know, that she was working on a project pushing to get it done. And her team left the other day and said, hey, good job, way to go. If you get it done, we'll be down at the, the sports bar and come join us. <laughs> she was so steamed. I mean, because they're just, they're verbalizing with helping out, right? Even when you, you say that, right, people think you're talking about if they do that, it's some admittance to I'm weaker than you or it's a hierarchical thing. I, and I think this has been the, one of the major shifts that this idea of a servant leader does not mean that you're lesser. It actually means that you're more because you're so secure in yourself that you are capable of just going to your your people. Let me help you. Let me nudge you in the right direction. Let me clear the blockers for you so you can get there quicker. And that that's leadership mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, and it is, it's a, a team vision as well. I mean, because if you only think about yourself and your productivity and sort of that really narrow band versus understanding I'm part of a team and I'm going to have times when I'm behind or I'm coming back from being sick or something. I'm going to need some help digging out. It's, it's a tag team kind of thing in understanding that, Hey, it's about helping all of us be successful. And now, obviously, if you're totally self-interested, you can help a person go down by not helping them. You know? And you think that, that that's going to make you look better or advanced. It might in the short term, but long term, you know, that's not the way to uh, advance your career in the sense of being seen as a leader, as a person that people can trust and uh, want to work with and, and you know, have uh, you do work for them as a client. So. What about this, Paul? Right. So, so you have you have somebody who's doing that, and the problem is the culture does not fit that leadership style. Or, say, for example, it's sink or swim. So you mm-hmm. have Sam, the main protagonist, and he comes into yeah. a broken culture, and he comes in with an old style ethos of you know let's get stuff done, and then he he changes and he adopts the five languages of appreciation to make it work. Okay, so so that's the essential story. But it takes a board mm-hmm. and it takes a shift in top level leadership to realize that that's not a soft thing. Because I think this is a huge problem globally where people are afraid to do that because mm-hmm. it makes them look soft. And I mean soft as in emotionally soft and they have to be hard edged and hard nosed. And that's the only way you can get forward. I think that's the way because the way organizations mm-hmm. have been structured are based on army and church and hierarchy in the past. But that's broken. This is the new way. As you talk about that, I'm like, really, do people still think that way? I mean, because I'm in such a different world. And I, and part of it is like, well, I'm doing some consulting with a, an architectural firm here that they're, they've got some major issues. And the kind of 
structure um, and leadership that you're talking about is what they're doing. And it's at some point it doesn't work because if you if you don't treat people like people, if you don't treat people treat people with respect, if you don't earn trust, if you aren't directing your communication, you can sort of force it for a while, but it, it ultimately doesn't work because that's not how people work. And so what happens then is you just have this revolving door where you just have to keep replacing people because people say, I'm out of here. I'm not going to function this way. This is not how I'm going to live my life. And so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting dilemma in, in, in thinking about changing culture because my book, The Vibrant Workplace, talks about sort of the, the most common challenges in creating a culture of appreciation. And one of them, you know, is pushback from management and supervisors. And you got to be wise in this. I mean, you know, I mean, different people have different styles, but I, I think it's best to try to get a colleague or two that understands and you guys work together on this and start to implement it slowly because what wins people over is what they see in daily life. Because when people are positive, when they're uh, having an attitude of, of thanks and gratitude, when they treat people with respect, people want to be around like that. They want to be part of that team. And so then you start to get the good people and you're keeping the good people. And they're like, dude, what are they doing over there? I like that. And and it becomes a, a magnet for people of similar values. And the other people, you know, you're always going to have naysayers and critics. And I say, you know, have a nice day. You know what? Yeah, and you, you talk about these key influencers, for example, in Sink or Swim, there's there's a, an influencer in there and winning them over and also empowering them because they become almost like a two-way channel. They, they become a channel to feed back the, the, the pulse of the organization back to you as well because they actually really want change. And I thought this is the, the sad irony is that they're often the first to leave when they don't see change happening. Part of it is, I mean, if you're a, a dictatorial kind of hard-nosed leader, I mean, you can rise in the company and have a lot of benefits. And change lots of times uh, threatens that. And you may lose your position or your influence. And it's hard for people to, to give up sometimes, even though they're sort of selling their soul at the same time. It's, it's tough. We, we could talk about that one forever because that's, I mean, it really is like I, I've worked in innovation and I realized that, you know, to change business models, you first have to change mental models. And yeah. that that's actually everything because even coming from a sporting background, the teams that have won, and I wrote an article about this last week, I wrote about turnarounds in a game. So when your teams are way behind and there's, there's this European Cup game by Leinster, for example, and they were, they were 22, six down at half time. It's funny because I wrote that last week and I read the book in the interim and I thought the framework of appreciation, but also I thought about how you talk about change and it takes one person, but that person then has a, has a, a snowball effect. And this is what happened in this team. It took one person, they spoke up and then everybody else started speaking the same language. And then they went out and they turned the game around. And I was like, that's exactly what, what you're talking about here. Yeah. And, you know, um, we can talk about appreciation and encouragement. And to me, the terms are very similar. Just for me, the, the focus is on the time frame. So appreciation focuses on communicating what you value that a person has done. Encouragement is coming along in the present when they're discouraged or need, you know, 
a little bit of an extra push, um, or they're you know they're trying to push through a problem and they're you know, just getting worn out. It's the same actions, but it's focused on the present and the future. So, like in you know in the game, it's like, dude, yeah, you did this great, but here's where I see you can really make a difference here. And you, encourage them and empower them and it, again i think the different languages are important you know it was interesting to me i'll, I'll skip the physical touch because that's the one that's always last last and people you know, have a problem with but the fact is uh, in a lot of cultures and regions physical touch is important um and yeah you have to be careful about appropriateness and inappropriate kinds of touch but you know your comment about the sports, I had a, a CEO of a, a major hospital group here, and his HR manager told me, I'm not sure if he's going to be on board with his appreciation, so he's a military guy, and sort of hard-nosed. The first comment he made to me, he said, you know, I was sort of disappointed that you don't put as much on physical touch. And I, I'm like, what? And he said, yeah, I grew up in sports, and, you know, you, you hug and you high-five and you slap each other back. He said, I miss that, you know, that you celebrate when you have a victory, when you do something well. And it was just interesting that, you know, there's some places and situations where that's really what we're talking about in appreciation. It's a spontaneous celebration of, hey, when you solve a problem, it's a fist bump. When you, you know, make a sale, it's maybe a congratulatory handshake, you know, or a high five. And, um, and it's not a huge deal, but it can make a difference to somebody that that's meaningful to them. And, um and you have to be careful here in the States, you know, the South is a little more uh, touchy and whereas in the Northeast of New York, we sort of tease that, you know, you sort of nod each other across the room and that's close enough. And, you know, it, it's not a big deal, but it can, it can be significant. And, and the, the other language that we can briefly talk about is, tangible gifts and it's important to understand it's not bonuses it's not raises it's not compensation it's just a small thing that shows that you're actually getting to know your team it's like somebody likes a certain kind of you know your starbucks you know, coffee especially and you, you you sort of pay attention you see what they order you bring it in and say hey i thought you might like this or if they follow a certain sports team that you get a magazine about that team or some you know sportsman really about it um, and you make sure you get the right team, right? Because you know what? <laughs> mess that up. Or it can be, you know, uh, these little magazines about somebody's training for a half marathon or something. It's, it's not about work lots of times. It's like you, you hear what they're talking about. They're training for a half marathon. You get them a running magazine about stretching. Say, yeah, hey, heard your training. Thought you might do this. It's, it's paying attention to them as a person and saying, hey, I know that you have life more than this year. And thought about you and enjoys. And, and, and this really is where the thought, it is the thought that counts because uh, it's not about the monetary value. that you actually thought about and took the time to get something. And the way to offend a person that gifts are important to you is if you give everybody the same thing because then you show that you didn't put in thought or effort. You know, especially if you're, uh, you know, you get a person to mug you know, and so, and with the logo, it's just like, dude, I got some lines, you know, <laughs> so. You know, you were saying about the fist bumps and stuff. I mean, I come from that background, having played professional sport, and it's one of the things you struggle most with is 
it's it's almost like a lack of energy and you come into a, a business and and you're 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 brimming with that energy because that you were around it the whole time and you know you talk about the the feeling part of the team and and i think of i, I always think of it chemically and i think feeling part of a team is, is an oxytocin you know uh physical touch is oxytocin and then you you know achievement is dopamine and and you're kind of they make you feel good they're full feel good chemicals and then when you come into so many organizations the the organization is devoid of chemicals and and this is what i love about this book as well you say about it's it can start with somebody somebody needs to start the snowball rolling and you know and I, and i've i've been guilty of this as well where for 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 not wanting to feel not part of a tribe even if that tribe is going through a negative patch and they start moaning and uh, you know and bitching about this and that they they do drag you down because you don't want to be the one that goes you know you don't know how to deal with it. You don't have the tools to how to decline gracefully from that. But, but in the book, again, you say this, that you just, you just don't partake. And that's says, that says so much without actually, actually saying anything. But, um, briefly, we'll mention sink or swim because these are two separate books. There's the five languages of appreciation in the workplace and then sink or swim. I read, I read them simultaneously, which was a fantastic way to do it, by the way. I, cause I, I listened to the audio book of sink or swim, read the book because it's beautiful. It's beautifully illustrated. And I, I love it. It's a nice hard copy I have. And then the five languages of appreciation and, and the, 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 the sink or swim book is a fable. And I loved what you did there because it actually brings the theory to life. And I just, was that your intention? Yeah. And, you know, and just so people know, because they're listening, I mean, sync, S-Y-N-C, like synchronizing, sync or swim. And so. I should have uh, said that. (laughs) That's all right. So, so, you know, actually somebody on the publishing team came up, you know, because there was Who Moved My Cheese, which was a business book, you know, a couple decades ago, similar kind of thing. And stories, tell us and we learn differently. I mean, that's why we tell stories to our kids because we can relate to them and there's an emotionality about it. And one of the cool things, I mean, the feedback I get a lot is that, you know, people can clearly identify with somebody in the story and all the time can identify somebody they work with that is one of the other characters, whether it's, you know, sort of the the rough, you know, um, bear guy that you know uh, does physical kinds of things and then you've got sort of this manipulative marketing person and, and uh not that they're all manipulative all the same but uh it, it's fun and i love the book it's my favorite book just because there's a freedom of being able to sort of say hey you know this is not just a, a business concept principle facts concept. this is life and this is how it happens in interactions in if you the story allows you to sort of enter into it and experience the feelings and experiences that people have. Like when you try to encourage somebody and it doesn't go well, and not only doesn't go well, they, you know, they, they critique it and, and say negative things to other people. You know, we've been there, most of us. So um, it's fun. I like it. So Paul, it's, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. And I'm going to link to your website i'm going to link to where people can buy the book but you mentioned as well a blog post you wrote there or an article you wrote it'd be great to to get that off you and i'll link to that as well so people can find that yeah so sort of the central website where you can get to both appreciation at work the five language appreciation and sink or swim and even the toxic stuff is the website is appreciation at work and it's the word at 
appreciationatwork.com. And then you'll see, and there's different places you can go. We got, uh, there's a learn tab that has different videos and articles, but I'll get you a, a link to that, uh, um, sort of the easily offended, uh, article. Um, and then I have a, a, a Dr. Paul white.com one as well, but I really appreciate your work when you get you there. Um, love for people to check into. We've got people that have gone through our training process that are in uh, the UK as well as across the world. And so, uh, I'd always love to have others uh, join the team the Brilliant, Paul. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Psychologist, keynote speaker, consultant, author of Rising Above a Toxic Workplace, The Vibrant Workplace, Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, and Sink or Swim. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Paul White. My pleasure, Aiden. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, man.